0: why do I do the things that I do? Why am I doing what I do? Now, I, I don't mean the like, deep level of philosophy. You, know, you don't need to sit kind of staring into the distance. That I don't mean that. I simply mean at the level of, what am I doing in this thing that I call my life? Why do I get up and do the things that I do? Why do I then get up the next day and do the things that I do? Why do I keep on doing the things that I do? Have you ever stopped and thought about it? We've just taken a moment to consider that. And, and there might be some easy answers. There might be some fairly obvious answers. Uh, maybe some of you say, well, I need to eat, drink, and sleep. I, I know those things. You know, if, if I don't get those things, life doesn't, well, life doesn't go well, and eventually life doesn't happen. So there's stuff we have to do just as human beings because that's the very stuff that keeps us alive. And some of you might go further, and you say, well, I currently work... And I get up and I go to my job to pay the bills so I can have food, so I can have drinks, so I can have shelter. And that's why I do what I do. Some of you might say, well, I'm actually working really hard now. I'm studying really hard now. So I can go on and get one of those jobs. That means kind of I can move out from my parents because they seem to be increasingly unhappy with me being in the house. And, And one day then I'll be able to provide for myself. And who knows, maybe a family into the future. So that's why I'm working really hard to do those things. Maybe some of you say, well, I do the things that I do because of the people around me, because of relationships. So for some of you, that will be, I, I go and I work hard because there are people who need me to work hard, who need me to kind of invest in them. As a parent, you know, you can easily say, well, I do some of the things that I do because my, my kids need me. They need me to do those things. And for some of you, maybe you say, well, I've gone on and I'm studying at the moment or whatever it is because I love my parents and they told me that it was a really good thing to do. That I didn't want to disappoint them. So I'm carrying on doing the things that I'm doing. Now, for some of you, you your answer might include God. Your answer may say, may go something like, well, I want to live a life that loves God, that honors God, and I want to do the things that I do in life knowing that they can please him. Knowing that I can kind of live with that as a focus. And some of you will just say, I've got no idea. Really don't know. Well, it's just what we do, isn't it? It's just we're people. This is we do something instead of nothing. That's just the way it works. But everyone at some point thinks about this. Everybody thinks about this now even though kind of you you guys are the majority of you are young to think about this let, let me just you will think about this at some point you may already have done it may be as the alarm goes off for another monday morning and you think why am i doing the thing that i'm doing <laughs> it may be as you get the next deadline that comes in yeah for another essay that needs to be written and you think why in the world am i doing what i'm doing it may be that as your boss says, Look, I know it's Friday, I'm gonna need that report on my desk by Monday morning. You think, Oh man, that was, that's the, there's the weekend. There's the weekend. Why do I do what I do? And for others of you, maybe as, as you're carrying the next heavy load across a building site, as you kind of build the next, the next set of kind of walls and stuff that you're in, and you think, what, Just why am I doing this? Why am I lifting all of this? Have you, have you ever seen Groundhog Day? Um, the film got Bill Murray in it, it's a great film. And it's about this reporter, he gets caught in a loop where he endlessly lives out the same day, over and over and over again. And um, and, and even though, (laughs) eventually he kind of begins to realise he's living the same day out. But it captures beautifully something that so many people struggle with their whole life. Which is, it just seems like, I just do the thing I do, and I just keep doing it, and I just keep doing it, and I just keep doing it. But here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing that the gospel offers, that Christianity offers. And I I actually say it's the only complete and compelling answer to the question, why do we do what we do? Christianity allows us to make sense of the whole of our life, of everything within our life. Every aspect of our life is covered. It gives an answer to who we are. It gives us an answer of why we're here. It gives us an answer of where we're going. And it gives us an answer of why we work. Why we do the things that we do. And that's what we're going to look at together here today. You know, I just need a quick show of hands because it's going to help me, this talk and the next talk. Um, who right now, I'm going to explain what I mean by work in a moment, but who is, who's kind of in employment? Okay? So who gets paid to, to work a job that they're doing? Okay? Can you just put your hand up? Okay. Who's studying to, in order that one day you might actually, let's no, not say so that you might get a job, let's just say who's studying right now and we'll do it. Okay. Right, and that means there's some of you who are, are doing neither, uh, none of those things. That's fine. That's very helpful. So here's what I want to say. Because if some of you have heard that and you think, oh, man, this, I was quite excited about this conference, and I love the music, and that was a great video, and then, but this guy's talking about work. I've not got a job. Is that, you know, that's great. You know, can I get a refund for this? It, don't, well, you may want a refund later, but, but you know, you can speak to someone else and not me about that. Um, but that's not really... What I mean by work isn't just that somebody gives you a check at the end of the month for the things that you do. Okay, that isn't just what I mean by work. It's not just what the Bible means by work either. We all work. The work might look different. The work almost certainly will look different, in fact. But actually, all of us work every single day. Whatever, you know, whether that's, that's, like I say, employment by somebody, whether that's studying, whatever you do each day is a kind of work. The things that you turn your hand to... The things that occupy your day, you get up and you fill your life with work of some sort. And I want to try and show you that there is a purpose, there is a meaning. Listen, because some of you, this will make no sense. There is even joy to be found in work. Okay, now that's going to be the strangest concept for some of you right now, but there is even joy to be found in work. Now we'll cover a lot in these two sessions and then kind of just the summary at the end. Um, But the first session I'm going to ask very simply, why do we do what we do? And then in the second session, I'm going to read it down more practically, and I'm going to ask us, how do we do the things that we do? Okay, so, so this first session, why we do what we do, and I want to show you three things, that's all. First thing, I want to show you why work is good. Okay, I'm going to say that a few times, why work is good. Then I want to show you why work is hard. And then I want to show you how work can be rescued. Okay, why work is good, why work is hard. How work can be rescued. Three things, simple as that. Good to go? Is that okay? People know where we are. Yeah. Okay, first thing then why work is good. To get a proper understanding of this, then we need to go back to the beginning. Uh, We need to get back to the start, to where the Bible starts with something that surprises a lot of people. Um, If you've got a Bible, I'll encourage you to open it. Um, If not, you can kind of listen in. I'm not sure if there's Bibles around anywhere. Um, Are Bibles around anywhere? I don't know. Um, Matt at the back is going to... So if you want a Bible, that's fine. If you can peer over someone's shoulder, that's great too. But let me read from Genesis uh, chapter 2. Genesis is right at the beginning of the Bible. It's where everything starts. Listen to Genesis chapter 2 verses uh, from verse 1. It says this. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, the beginning of the Bible presents us with something. Presents us with a picture of God. And and one of the first things that you see God doing in Scripture is what? God is working. God is presented as working at the beginning of the Bible. It says that God creates the whole cosmos, actually in a single work week, In seven days. Yeah? But if you thought your last week was productive, just, you know, take a look at that. Single work week, God creates the earth. God is shown at the beginning from working, or as working. He worked deliberately, he worked carefully, to form the world that we live in. Now what's interesting, this part of the, the, the Bible is written in Hebrew, and the word for work that's used under that is the very ordinary kind of work that's also used to describe what people do. So this isn't kind of a unique, I mean it's unique in many ways, but but God is working in the way that then we see human beings work later on. God in the beginning was working, God worked, God is engaged in the work that he's doing. But see see more than that, God is actually delighted in the work that he's doing. Because back at the end of chapter 1, in verse 31, if you know Genesis at all, you'll know that one of the things that God keeps saying about the work that he's doing, verse 31, you get it, God saw that everything he'd made, and behold, it was very good. God keeps saying about the work that he's doing, this is good. And that's more than just the things he's making, that's the work he's doing. So God is saying, you know, uh, what I find is beautiful, he stands back from everything he's done, he says that's good, he rejoices in the work that he's doing, it pleases him. Working pleases God. He delights to make his creation. He delights in his creation. Do you know, his work doesn't stop there. Because what you get then in the early chapters of Genesis is that God works not only to create, but then he works to care for his creation. He works to look after his creation. God creates human beings and then works for them as a provider. It's an amazing thought. Look at it. In, let me show you that in Genesis 2, uh, verse 8. It says that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made up to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. See that? God not only works to make where humans live, he not only delights in that, he then provides, he works to provide for the human beings that he's made. He gives them, he works to provide for human beings. It's a beautiful picture. Sometimes theologians call that work of God's provision his work of providence. Maybe some of you who hang out in churches you've heard that phrase. God provides for the, for the things that he's made. So here's what I'm trying to show you. The Bible says that God works. And for him, work isn't just an annoying distraction. It's something he delights in. It's something he considers good. Now, now listen, that in and of itself, I mean, that would be amazing. That in and of itself would be... Probably enough to show us that work counts and should affect the way that we think about work. But there's a more powerful reason still. See, work is good. Work is good because when we work, we reflect the image of God. When we work, we reflect the image of God. Maybe you're familiar with the fact that God makes human beings uniquely in his image. That's how the Bible describes it. And uh, the first human beings, let let me read for you Genesis 1.27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So God uniquely creates human beings. And as you know the first thing he says to them? See, verse 28, the first thing that God says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over every living thing that, that moves on the ground. God makes human beings, the first thing he says, get to work. Go work. Now, the kind of work that he says they need to go and do is to fill the earth and subdue it. And maybe you thinking, well, I don't understand. What does that mean? What does it mean to fill the earth and subdue it? Now, it, it, means, a, it means a whole lot of things. But, but for the sake of today, let me show you this. It means that God made a great world. God made a good world but he hadn't tapped all of the potential, deliberately. He hadn't developed everything in the world that he made. God leaves space. God leaves space for human beings. And God deliberately says to human beings, go and carry on what I started. Not in the way of kind of creating from nothing. You know, good luck with that, if you're trying to do that. But no, he says, look, I took the world I gave, all the, I gave you all the raw materials, and now I want you to continue that great work that I've started. God says, Get busy working. He says, I want you to carry out what I started. We use what God's already made, but we work with the things that God has created. Think about this with me. Just think about it for a moment. Genesis says that God, he forms the world, but then it's, it's unformed and it's empty, it's chaotic. But God comes and he he forms and he fills it. If you read through Genesis 1, you see this picture. God takes what was formless and into it he injects beauty and order and purpose and meaning. God takes everything that's unformed and he forms it and he fills it. He puts order into the chaos, beauty into the mess. And now God says to human beings, I want you to carry it on. I want you to continue to do that which I've started. We're to cultivate. We're to do a similar kind of work that God did in the beginning. Take that which is shapeless, which is formless, and turn it into something useful and beautiful. We take the raw materials of God's creation and turn it into something good. Now here's what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying it's still like 10 past 11, and this is a Saturday. I'm not used to this time on a Saturday. I didn't know this time existed on a Saturday morning. And I've just pushed you to kind of one step too far. (laughs) And you said, hold on, you've lost me there. God did this thing, I followed that. God works, I followed that. But now you say we're to work in the way that God works. We're to take empty and formless things and fill them. What does that mean? Let me give you some examples. I grew up in Devon, surrounded by farms, surrounded by farmers. Most of my friends were farmers. Think about what farming is. What's a farmer do at the very basic The very basic thing, here's what a farmer does. They take the raw material of soil and seed. And they put them together and they cultivate them to form food. Yeah? Food. The farmer works with the things that God has given them. And food comes that blesses and and, and kind of feeds us. How about music? If you're a musician, what what did these guys do just now? Well, what they did just now, they took... The raw material of notes, okay? They took the, the science of, of sound. I guess they probably didn't think a whole lot about that particularly, just right this morning. But they took all of those things and they shaped it into something beautiful. They shaped it into something that sounded full of sense and order that stirred our hearts, in this case, to bring praise and glory to God, yeah? They took the raw produce of music and they turned it into something good and formed. How, how about, how about if, you're, if you're kind of into uh, textiles or, or anything like that? What does somebody do in textiles? Well, they take the raw material of the fabric and they cut it and they shape it and they form it into something you can wear. That's why like, all of us aren't just walking around in sheets, yeah? Because somebody has taken the raw material – sorry if any of you are, <laughs> um, and it looks great – but, um, but what they do, they take it, they take the raw material, and they form it and they shape it in something that's useful, something that's purposeful. How about if you bake? What do you do every time you bake or you cook? You take the raw materials of the ingredients and you form them, you put them, you shape them together to form something nutritious, something delicious, something that blesses it. Yet you see, we do this all of the time. What's washing up? What's washing up? Except placing order into the midst of chaos. Every time you wash up, you reflect what God did there in the beginning. But you've never thought about that before. But you, you see the mess, you see the chaos, and what you do every time you wash up, you echo that. You echo that. You take the chaos and you install order. You return things into kind of a way that they're useful. Sweeping up a room, taking a human mind and forming it and teaching it a subject. Harnessing the forces of electricity. Human beings forever have been imitating what God did in the beginning. Because God said, this is what I want you to go do in my world. See, wherever we bring order out of chaos, we follow God's pattern of work. His pattern of filling, of forming, of subduing, of making order. God gives a sense of purpose. He gives a sense of work for everybody. Here's the amazing truth. God makes paradise. Some of you need to hear this. God makes paradise and work is part of it. (coughs) the least likely statement to get an amen the whole day okay God makes paradise and work is a part of it there's no way that you can kind of re-read Genesis and find anything else except that God makes paradise and work is a part of it it was a vital part of life in paradise that's how God designs it it starts with a God who works in creation and continues to work to care for his creation we're made in his image we reflect that fact We reflect the way that God creates. It's not an accident. Jesus, the perfect son of God, he sums it up beautifully. In John 5, 17, he says, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Jesus says there is a nobility to work. There is something good in work. Whether it's done by a Christian or a non-Christian, work is highly valued because it was made by God and it reflects something of God. Now here's what some of you are saying. Why is work so hard then? If work is so good, why is it so hard? My job sucks. I hate my job. You cannot possibly tell me that work is good. If work is so good, why do weekends feel like life? And Monday feels like death. If work is so good, why does, why does it feel like nine to five lasts for an eternity? And then the moment I get home, time speeds up until it's the next morning. So if, you say, if work is so good, why is it that so many of my friends live for the weekend? Yeah, if work is supposed to be so good. Why is it the day of greatest joy here today in this building is going to be today and tomorrow instead of Monday to Friday? Why is it? Why is it that work feels like death, but leisure feels like freedom? The holidays are the high point of life, and sometimes it feels like everything else is just a frustration until we get there. Why does it feel that way? Do you know what the Bible has a clear answer. The Bible has a compelling answer. Some of you will know it. But before I get to the main answer, let me give you part of the answer. Part of the answer is that God, from the beginning, he limits work. He limits work. Now, some of you are closer to an amen here. <laughs> I realize that probably none of you are going to amen all day. Okay, um, I, You know, that, that's fine. But, but you're probably closer to it when I say God limits work. See, he sets the boundaries of work. Let, let, me, let me just make sure you're still with me. On the seventh day, God does what? Oh, for goodness sake. Come on. On the seventh day, God does what? Rest. He rests. Thank you. Now, have you ever thought about that? Why does God rest? It's because he's tired? It's because he needs a break? Is it because kind of, well, you know, it was a pretty big deal creating everything, so, you know, we can just, he can just sit back and, and just take it easy for a moment? Well, the Bible says God doesn't need a break because he neither slumbers nor sleep. He's infinite in his power, his ability. God doesn't need to rest. God doesn't need to do that. So why does does he, he doesn't need to restore his strength. So why does he rest on the seventh day? It's as simple as this. He did it for us. God does it for us. He did it to establish a pattern for us. He did it to set limits on work. Now, there's more that that seventh day means, but this is all that we'll get to today. The Bible teaches that work, on the one hand, is not something to be avoided, that work is good, that work is something that's reflective of God, but it saves us from the opposite mistake as well. The opposite mistake, that work is the only worthy human activity. That work is the one thing that should fill everything that we do, and we should never rest from our work. The fact that God sets a pattern of rest, The fact that God actually rests out, he sets the pattern, he says six and then one. He says, on this day, I'm going to rest. On this day, I'm going to step back. Says that God says, actually, there needs to be a limit to work. And here's the problem that some of us have. We ignore the limits that God sets. Culturally, that's where we are in the West. We've ignored the limits that God sets on work. So many people are are, are kind of blowing kind of fuses because of work are run down emotionally, spiritually, physically, because they've not respected the boundaries that God set for work. If we ignore the pattern that God sets, then it will affect everything about us. But why do we ignore the pattern? Because so many people do. Well, it's for this bigger reason. It's because work, along with everything else, gets broken. And this is probably where some of you went straight away. The bigger problem, the bigger reason that work is hard is that work has been broken. In the Bible story, sin enters the world. And everything gets shattered. Everything gets fractured. I think in the video before I I spoke, it's conveyed really well, kind of that sort of explosion that, you know, went out from his feet. I can't, there's no way I can kind of recreate that um, here. But that whole sense that everything gets affected. As Adam and Eve, they rebel, they turn against God. They push God to the fringes. In Genesis 3, they listen to the devil. He sows seeds of doubt about the goodness of God. And that rebellion against God causes alienation. No longer do they know him in the way that they used to. No longer can we know him as we're born in the way that we used to. Sin shatters the perfect joy that human beings had. His faith, God's favor, no longer rests. And here's a good way to think about it the, the world gets unspooled. It's like everything was knitted together perfectly as God made the world. And then sin enters and the threads begin to spin out. The threads begin to unravel. When I was a kid, uh, my mum used to knit jumpers for us um, for school. Uh, You have uh, no idea. We were the only kids in the whole school who were happy when school uniforms got introduced. Um, Because mum used to knit us these jumpers. And uh, bless her. She had good intentions. But uh, we used to have to wear these little knitted jumpers to school. And, uh, and occasionally, um, a little thread would pull out of the jumper. And while I was playing in the playground one day, and on a chain-link fence, one of the threads got caught. And I didn't realize a thread got caught. You, know, you just run around for a little bit as a kid. And before, you know, <laughs> before I know it, kind of, it's, it's a crop top and not a jumper, you know, because the little thing had just unraveled. One thread and the whole thing just unspools. The Bible says that's exactly what happens when sin enters the world. Not everything explodes straight away. But the, thread, the threads, the strands of creation unravel. And nowhere do you see it more clearly than in the area of work. Uh, turn with me to Genesis 3. And I'm going to read from from what God says will now happen. Sometimes called the curse. Because sin has entered the world. This is now what the world looks like. Genesis 3.16 says to the woman, to Eve, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Well, those verses, tell us, those verses tell us an awful lot that makes sense of a whole lot in life. But one of the things that they make sense of is the fact that the good of work hasn't been snuffed out, hasn't been undone completely, but it's been blighted, it's been deeply affected. It's why we have so many problems with work. I'm not going to trace out all of these ways, but let me, let me just show you two. Let me show you two of the ways that, that, that sin has affected our work. Here's the first one. Those verses say that work becomes fruitless. Work becomes fruitless. So, work is not a curse. I wanna, I'm going to repeat that a few times because I want you to hear that. Work is not a curse, but work is now, along with every other area of life, under a curse. See the difference between those two things? Work is not a curse because God made it good. But now with the whole of life, work is under the curse. It's affected, deeply affected by sin. And we learn, verse 17 of chapter 3 says, that work will now become painful toil. The things that we set our hands to, whatever our work looks like, it will become painful toil. Pain will come into our work. But you also see 18. It says that thistles and thorns will come up as food is growing. Thistles and thorns. Now you have to remember that that was the kind of work that Adam was doing. So there was a literal fulfilment for him. Before he kind of worked the land, he produced the food that they needed. And and now God says for the first time you're going to encounter thorns and thistles. You're going to find things that are going to come up and they're going to make your work hard. But the thistles and thorns are actually just a picture of the way that now the whole of our work is affected and it's marked by frustration. How many of you have felt a lack of fulfillment in your work? How many of you felt just a sense of, of fruitlessness? You never actually achieve what you really hope you will in your work. And those thorns, those weeds, they share themselves in all kinds of ways. Why is it? Why is it that for the majority of people, when you study, study is always an uphill struggle? You have thought that? Why do you not wake up remembering more than you went to sleep with? Why do you, why do you wake up always having remembered less and having to study more? For some of you who are, who are working... You know, why is it, why is it that that your office is full of poisonous politics, that it never seems like everyone in the office gets on and meshes as they really should? Why is it that, you know, star footballers suffer the effects of injuries? The Bible says it's thistles and thorns. Why is it that corruption scandals kind of rock businesses? It's thistles and thorns. Work is always painful, it's often difficult, it seems fruitless. And you know what? Even in the times where you work at your best, even in the times where you work still as hard as you can, you can be frustrated with the results. Things outside of your control come in that just seem to wipe all of the good stuff out. Take the farmer again. Think about a farmer who works hard to sow the seed, he knows the time of year, he works hard to plough the fields, all of those kind of things. He's prepared the fields well, but then, then the rains don't fall. Or too many rains fall, and his crops are either under kind of a few feet of water, or or they never come up at all because drought strikes the land. Or maybe maybe you're a really good singer, maybe you're a great musician, but you just can't break into the industry. You just you can't quite do it. You don't know the right people, the right places. You feel helpless. You feel frustrated. It was nothing to do with how hard you worked. It was nothing to do with how gifted you were. There's just a sense of fruitlessness. Or maybe you work really hard at a project at work. You've put in the hours, you've produced the report, your boss then turns around and says to you, I'm sorry, we have just restructured the team. Your report doesn't count anymore. Thanks anyway though. And you just feel completely crushed because you invested so much into this thing. Daily, we feel the thistles and weeds. See, daily we feel them. Work becomes fruitless. And here's the next thing. Work becomes selfish. Work becomes selfish. The pattern that God set for work was, was really important. God created the world for the sake of others. Yeah? He didn't need the world, but he did it for the sake of others. And, and the way that God did it, he created it in a way that would show his greatness. It would show his glory. It would show something of who he was. And then he makes us as human beings to work like him. So you know what that means about our work? It means that we can work in a way... It's to show how great He is and that we'll bless others for the glory of God, for the sake of others. Much more of that kind of we'll, we'll get into in the next session. But the essence of sin is turning in on ourselves. It's to make ourselves the center of the world, the center of the universe. God goes to the fringes, so does everybody else. We relentlessly center on ourselves. And one of the ways that sin has affected work is that. Now, our work becomes selfish. And there's, I guess there's lots of ways, but Genesis shows us a really good way. It shows us a really good example of what happens. You heard of the Tower of Babel? What you find through the early chapters of Genesis is that you see violence and oppression. You see those threads unraveling from creation as sin enters. And then in Genesis 11, you get to, uh, you get to Babel. And you find that the people uh, have grown, humanity has kind of increased... And they come together, and in Genesis 11, 2 and 4, they say this. The people migrated from the east, and those three, they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for water. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See that? Now Listen. They're working. That's a good thing. Actually, they're being really creative in their work. They found new forms, new processes. Now they can build really high. All of those are good things. They're even working, in a sense, to build cities which are for the sake of others. That's a good thing. And yet, do you see the massive thing there? Do you hear why they want to build? It says, come, let's make a name for ourselves. Did you hear it? Come, let's make a name for ourselves. They don't want to build for God's power and his glory. They don't want to build ultimately for the good of others. They want to maximize the power, the glory of their own names, of themselves. For all of us in our work, we face that battle every single day to build a name for ourselves. Let me be really honest with you. I'm a, I'm a pastor I, I love what God has called me to do honestly I feel like there's nothing in the world that would fit me better than what I do but I daily feel the battle of working selfishly sometimes that's just because I don't want to love the other people around me well I don't want to give to people who kind of I think well, maybe, maybe this week has just been a difficult week I don't want to do that thing for that person but I work so I, I feel the temptation I feel the sin pulling me towards selfishness coming to somewhere like this. Do you know my greatest heart today? My greatest heart is that some of you in some way would have been moved by the Spirit of God, would have been stirred to think about how you can live for Jesus in the place where he's called you to work. That is my big heart. That's why I said yes to come and do this. But do you know what? I'm, I'd be lying if I said there's not another selfish part of me. That goes actually what I want from and what I crave from everyone in this room is a sense of applause and appreciation. I want to go knowing that Jesus' name has been made much of, But there's just a tiny part of me that like my name to be made kind of much of as well see i'm just being honest with you and all of you will face that be it i want to excel in this thing so so everybody around me knows that i can do it I, I, i want to kind of work well in my workplace that's a good thing but i want to do it so i've got a sense of if everyone's saying man they are really good at their job do you know just how good they are at their job the bible says we begin to work selfishly so listen are you glad you came I've told you you're going to be frustrated and fruitless most of your life. You know, welcome to Identity 2014. It's been a good start to the day. But there's good news. There's a lyric in a a Mumford & Sons song uh, that goes, Plant your hope with good seeds, don't cover yourself with thistle and weeds. Plant your hope with good seeds, don't cover yourself with thistle and weeds. That's a beautiful desire, that there could be a seed of hope planted in the midst of the thorns and thistles that could actually bring something good. But the question is, where in the world does it come from? Where does it come from? How, how can we stop the thistles and weed choking us? How can we restore the good of work? Now, let me introduce this really briefly, and then we'll kind of unpack this in the later sessions. How is work rescued? The heart of Christianity is a story. It's a story of the gospel. And at the center of the gospel is the way God has stepped in to rescue us from sin and the consequences of sin. The gospel is a story. Let me tell you that story and how work fits into it. It's one, as we've seen, that starts with creation. Our rebellion, sorry, comes later, but, but God, first of all, he, he works to make a good world. A good world in which work is good, in which we work like him to cultivate and create, he creates. And yet, it's a world that we decreate. We uncreate the world with our sin. Our rebellion means that sin, the world unspoiled, and everything is fractured. And now all of life is lived out under the curse. All of life is affected in the curse. But God isn't done with us. His work isn't finished. Because God is at work to bring about a recreation. God isn't content to leave the world he made without hope, so he enters into the brokenness. God the Son, Jesus, comes down into the world and he works through his whole life. He works perfectly, he learns as a carpenter, and then he builds and he works with wood for the majority of his life. He experiences what world is like in a broken world, but he works in another way too. He works in a deeper way too. He works perfectly with the father to make a way for all of the brokenness of sin to be undone. For all the sadness to come untrue, His great work would see Jesus go to the cross, and on the cross he would absorb all of the consequences all of the punishment, all of the power of our sin, he would die to deal with it. But in power, his father was still at work. And in resurrection power, the father would raise him through the spirit from the tomb. And in that new resurrection power, Jesus promised to be with his people. And he says, now my power is at work with my people in every area of their life. He says, I give them a new source of identity. A new, secure, gloriously satisfying identity. (coughs) Actually, do you know what? It's not a new one. It's our original one restored to us. It's the one that we had in the very beginning to do all for the glory of God and the good of others. And by his Holy Spirit, he says, I will allow my people to work in that way. He rescues our work. And now, as we work with his help in the world, we point towards the future. A coming day where Jesus will come back to bring the new creation. You see, there was a creation... There was a decreation. There was a recreation. And one day there'll be a new creation. Where Jesus will come back, and the end of the story for all who know and trust Jesus is that they'll inherit a perfected world, a remade creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. Where guess what? Guess what? We will work again in paradise. We will work forever in sinless work in the new heavens and the new earth. I want to suggest to you. That story changes everything. That story changes the very details of how you work, of your office, of your essays, of your study, of how you relate to your boss, how you relate to your colleagues. It changes everything. The gospel gives us a new and a deeper reason to work. It gives us a lens to view the world through. It gives us a new purpose and a new desire. So let me finish with this first 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Why do we do what we do now? Well, Jesus rescues us, and we can now say the reason we do what we do, 1 Corinthians 10.31, is whether we eat or drink, or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. That's what we can now say about our work and everything else, whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. I'm going to show you, step by step, how that plays out as kind of we gather again in a moment. But for now, that's, uh, that's this one.